It was September 16th, the year 2020, that I found myself sitting in my car outside of Joel Beretta's house, where I was living at the time, in my uh, Ford Fiesta. And uh, it was after a night at YA Worship, and I was just sitting there in silence contemplating my future, my interests, and one particular romantic prospect. You see, I had spent some time with Anna Hine just as friends, but in that time, I had resolved to ask her on a date. I would have asked her in person that night, but she rode there with her roommates, and so I didn't have a clear moment to talk with her one-on-one, and so again, there I was, sitting in my car, silently looking at my phone, weighing all the variables that go into a very important decision. I remember nervously saying to myself, in the end, I will do what I most desire to do. It's a rather simple truth, isn't it? In the end, I will do what I most desire to do. I can either call her and ask her on a date, or I can turn off my car walk inside, and remain single to the glory of God. And I just kept repeating that I will do what I most desire to do. I thought through all the things I knew to think through and came to this fork in the road. I was living according to my calling, like we said last week, right? Being faithful to God with where he had positioned me. So I would glorify him regardless of my decision. And when that is the case, we are free to choose what we desire to do. Right? When both options are going to glorify God, one no greater than the other, then it falls back on what do you desire to do? So I, I will do what I most desire to do. I kept repeating it. So I called her. And two-minute conversation. She says yes to a date. And then after that date, she kept, kept saying yes to more dates. And eventually, we both said yes to marriage and to each other. And it all started with a thoughtful decision steeped in reality. And that's what Paul wants for the church in Corinth when it comes to deciding whether to get married or remain single. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn in them to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we continue and conclude this series. The church in Corinth wrote to Paul asking about sex. Uh, They were under the impression due, uh, due to the depraved culture around them that all sex defiled. And so they assumed that it was ideal for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul had to instruct them within their various relational conditions. Paul says that God encourages husbands and wives to have sex regularly in order to avoid sexual immorality. He says to the single adults that they should pursue celibacy or marriage. And he says to the believer with an unbelieving spouse to remain married as God enables peace in that conflicted home. And then Paul 
provides for them a good rule of thumb, a principle for life. He says, live according to your calling and whatever condition you were called. That is, whatever relational condition, whatever spiritual condition, whatever uh, vocational condition. And we saw that we are to live according to our calling and whatever condition we're in right now, to be faithful to the Lord as he has called us to be holy as he is holy, regardless of our singleness, our level of spiritual maturity, or our job at any given moment. Those, those are conditions. Now, what he's called us to is holiness. And he wants to see, are we being faithful to that calling? And to conclude this chapter, Paul addresses two more subgroups of people in the church. The betrothed, that is the engaged couples in the church, and the widows. And so hopefully you've found 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 25 through 40 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40 say this. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as, those, as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then... He who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as, she, as long as he lives. 
But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Let me pray for us. Lord God, would you speak to us through uh, this text, this passage tonight, um, to hear the advice of Paul as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, as he writes to the church in Corinth, that, Lord, we would just hear you speak to us here 2,000 years later, to hear what you want to say to us and that we would apply it to our lives. God, would you bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's sermon title is Weigh Your Options. Weigh Your Options. And to go along with this sermon, I would like to give you four reasons Paul gives to the unmarried to remain as they are. Four reasons Paul gives to the unmarried to remain as they are. He's giving these reasons to help the Corinthians to make an informed concentrated decision on how they are going to spend the remainder of their lives so much as it's up to them. Um, I think the, the way we can kind of uh, modernize this text, it's like a radio call-in show. Like, hey, Paul, uh, you know, I, I'm engaged to this girl, and I don't know if I should go through with it. You know, you know what, what would you have for me? You know, how, how, would you, how would you coach me? This is Paul's godly advice as to what you can do to wrestle with these things that we see in the text. Four reasons Paul gives to the unmarried to remain as they are. First, the times are stressful and short. The times are stressful and short. And we see that in verses 25 through 31, which again say this. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord but I give my judgment, my opinion, as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I, Paul, would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, that, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul is addressing the betrothed, those who were engaged to be married. He says to them that he has no command from the Lord. It's not like the, the married believers where he can say, hey, it's a command from the Lord that you do not be divorced. right? But this, this is open for debate. It's his personal opinion. But he is worthy of their trust because of, he says, God's mercy. God's saving work in his life has made him someone who is reliable. Can the same be said of you? That Jesus Christ has saved you from your sin by his grace in such a way that when people seek out your counsel, they can know it's trustworthy. That it's godly advice. 
because you come at them with Scripture. Right? There's a big difference between a one-on-one conversation with the Bible in the middle than somebody just calling into a radio show, isn't there? Right? We want to give each other biblical, godly advice. And for us to be able to do that, we have to have a right understanding of the gospel. And the gospel is very simple. But so oftentimes we complicate it, don't we? That God would send his son Jesus to atone, to make right your sins. Your acts of rebellion. And save you from lawlessness by his grace. Nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. It is the free gift of God. And that grace changes us from the inside out. It's different from every other religion, different from any other faith system. To be able to say, I cannot do it myself. I need the help of Almighty God. And He's done it. To tell us, die. Jesus utters these words It is finished, paid in full. If you would just repent of your sin and believe savingly upon the Lord Jesus, call on Him to be your Lord and Savior, you can be saved of your sin tonight. Many of you have made that decision, some of you have not. I would encourage you, it's in your best interest to do what's commanded of us, to repent of our sin and believe savingly upon the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul did. And so his counsel, his advice is reliable. His advice is to remain unmarried. Because, first of all, the times are stressful and short. Isn't that what he says in in verse 26? I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. What present distress is he talking about? I think that he means the urgency of living in the last days. If we look back at chapter 1, he indicates that saints, that is people who are saved by the grace of God, are are sustained and found guiltless on the day of the the Lord's return, when Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead, right? To to be able to separate those who have received him as Lord and Savior and those who haven't. And to reward those who have repented of their sins and believed on, on savingly upon him, and then to punish those who have not. So Paul says in in chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless. Listen to that. Guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has his sights set on the skies, looking forward to the return of Christ. For Paul, it was coming very soon. And indeed, we are in the last days and have been for 2,000 years now. 
we should be just as expectant of Christ's return as Paul was. We know from the very words of Christ what the days before his return will look like. And we get that from Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 8. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Have we not heard of cults leading people astray? False teachers claiming to be Jesus? Have we not read books on the history of wars? Do we not see news reports guessing about when will Russia invade Ukraine? When will China invade Taiwan? Famines in Africa, earthquakes in Indonesia, these are nothing new. And yet, they are signs Christ gives of the beginning of the end. Which is why Paul says in verse 29, the appointed time has grown very short. The times are troublesome, they're stressful, and they are short. You and I just don't realize how short our time is. You and I could take our last breath at any moment. Christ could return this very instant, and I pray that he does. Your life is a vapor that could evaporate with the dawning of the sun. This is the reality that we live in, whether we embrace it or not. And that reality right there elicits urgency. Urgency. Paul says, you're married? Don't seek to be free. You're single? Don't seek a spouse. It isn't sin if you do, but I don't see why you would. Married people have troubles, and I'd spare you that, but it's your call. Our time is short, he says. So married couples should live like they aren't married. Okay, pause button. What does that mean? That sounds really confusing, doesn't it? Well, we have to remember it in its proper context, don't we? Paul is taking the weight off of our emphasis on the American dream to get married, have a nice house, white picket fence, cute kids, retirement, he says, put the weight on your eternal reality. The kingdom is at hand. He isn't saying forget your spouse so much as he's saying husbands and wives aren't married in heaven. Jesus taught that. That was a question that came up. Pharisees come to Jesus and are like, hey, you know, this, this woman's married seven times in her lifetime. Who's she married to and up in heaven? And Jesus is like, hey, marriage isn't in heaven. And you think, you think about that. Why don't we need marriage in heaven? Because we have the thing that marriage points to. Don't we? We are the bride. <laughs> he is the bridegroom. 
He laid down his life for us, the church, and we go to be with him in heaven forever. That, that's the marriage, the ultimate marriage. So married couples should live like they aren't married. People mourning death shouldn't bother mourning. People rejoicing in life shouldn't bother rejoicing. People buying stuff shouldn't bother buying stuff. People dealing with the world shouldn't bother dealing with it. Why? Because the present form of this world is passing away, he says in verse 31. So let that bless your soul. Paul says to the Christian, you might as well not go to Ikea because Jesus is coming back soon. Don't be so quick to buy that shiny ring because Jesus is coming back soon. Don't spend too much, too much time crying at your loved one's funeral because the day of the Lord draws near. You may say, Paul was either crazy or he was wrong. And I would just challenge you, what if he's completely sane? What if he's more right than you realize? Because this sounds an awful lot like what Jesus used to say. Leave the dead to bury their dead. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. What if our complacency and our comfort have clouded our eyes? It wouldn't matter if the skies rolled back and Jesus came riding on that white horse and pulled out a flaming sword from his mouth because we are far more concerned with our screens, our social lives, and our security blankets. And therein lies the wickedness of the human heart. Because if you're honest, you're hoping Jesus doesn't come back soon. Simply because you're not finished living this life yet. And that, my friend, is a window into your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It goes back to sermon on anxiety. What do you desire? The core of your heart, what do you desire? Does God desire it as much as you do? Evaluate that seriously. Because it will help you reckon with some things in your human heart. The times are stressful and they are short. But a second reason Paul gives for remaining unmarried is this. Marriage is difficult and distracting. While singleness is freeing and focused. Marriage is difficult and distracting while singleness is freeing and focused. Paul desires that his audience would be free from anxieties. Free of anxieties. This isn't anxieties in the sense that we have come to understand the word anxiety. Uh, the phrase free from anxieties literally means, uh, from the Greek, to be undivided or without distraction. Undivided or without distraction. Paul claims that the single adult is mindful or focused on the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Meanwhile, the married adult is mindful about worldly things. And this isn't worldly in the sense that we understand that word worldly, is it? If it carries more of a, a temporal meaning than any moral meaning. Right? Paul has in mind spouses, possessions, and responsibilities. Like, not bad things. Just temporal things. In terms of this lifetime. 
The married person has divided interests, while the single person has a singular focus. How to please God. How to be holy in body and spirit. Uh, I'm learning this for myself, alongside a lot of other married couples who got married recently. And we're asking the questions, just how much time and attention am I supposed to show my spouse? We enjoyed a few, Anna and I, a few months of just endlessly gazing into each other's eyes. But you can't do that forever, right? Because there's other people who warrant your time and attention, right? And so you have to strike that balance. And that balance is difficult to strike. Why? Because there's feelings and preferences and personalities involved. I thought budgeting two incomes and double the purchases was going to be difficult. If I'm being honest, it is. But it's nothing compared to scheduling between two calendars. Don't hear that as a complaint. That's a labor of love. But I'm getting a real picture of just how difficult it is to become one flesh. It's difficult. It's distracting. And Paul would have spared me that so I could have stayed focused on pleasing the Lord. Sure, I can budget or, uh, you know, Keep a calendar to the glory of God. But the first person I go to with a new appointment to schedule or a purchase to track in my budget, it isn't the Lord. It's Anna. (gasps) Can he say that? Can he say that? I'm admittedly divided in my interests. I can try my best to please the Lord as it pertains to my wife and our household. But I am now limited in how I please the Lord because he is looking to see how do I honor the covenant I made before him to love my wife. Meanwhile, single adults can be completely focused on living for the kingdom, growing in spiritual maturity and taking time to make whole disciples who make whole disciples. The sheer time and energy that you can devote to advancing the kingdom of God is what makes it a gift of singleness, as Paul called it in the beginning of this chapter. And again, to clarify, not everybody is called to that gift. But it is a gift. If I could use this analogy, a single person, uh, your spiritual family tree can be like a mighty oak tree that stretches out far and wide and has countless branches in every which way. Whereas a married person's spiritual family tree is like a pine tree, right? It has, a, it has its fair share of branches, but it's condensed and it's predetermined in its direction. Obviously, both will grow by the grace of God, but we must take into account Paul's second reason for remaining unmarried. Marriage is difficult and it's distracting, while singleness is freeing and it's focused. His third reason is this. The heart can be controlled and committed. The heart can be controlled and committed. Uh, Paul, uh, we get this from uh, Paul's, uh, from verses 36 through 38. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he 
who refrains from marriage will do even better. The heart can be controlled and committed. Paul nuances his instruction to be generous to engaged couples in their current situation. He or she may feel obligated to go through with the marriage or passionate about going through with the marriage or determined to be married. They can marry. It, it is not sin. That's, that's what he says. And he even eliminates this assumption that it's only the people who cannot control themselves that are the ones getting married. He, he kind of eliminates that. He, he gives room in his own understanding to be gracious to the one who makes a thoughtful decision to marry his or her betrothed. He does well, Paul says, but the one who refrains from marriage will do even better. I think it's important for us to see how Paul speaks about the heart. Uh, when the heart is mentioned in the Bible, it is very different from when the heart is mentioned in a medical journal. Right? Not the same. They, they do not correlate. Our heart, biblically speaking, is uh, the focus of our being and activity as a spiritual personality. Our hearts are complex in that they have three functions, uh, cognitive functions, affective functions, and volitional functions. And all three are uh, interrelated and overlap. Simply put, we think, we feel, and we act. Those all come from the heart. Biblically speaking, Paul would have us believe that those thoughts, feelings, and actions can be controlled and committed to the Lord. This is a stark contrast from what we see in society today, though. Our culture is a very feelings-driven culture with little to no regard for thinking things through and committing oneself to doing what is right and good and pure, even when it gets tough. More than seeing people remain unmarried, I, I suspect Paul desires to see the Corinthians give serious thought to their decision either to marry or remain single, right? Isn't, isn't that kind of what he said before this passage? He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure undivided devotion to the Lord. That's his heart in this text. There are some who will operate more from an effective function of the heart, that is the feelings function. They might say, I can't back out now, or I just want a companion, or I just got to get married. Right? Very impulsive, very feelings-oriented. And again, Paul says to let them marry. That isn't sin. But he really prizes the one who uses that cognitive function of the heart, the one who thinks about it. To, almost to say, you know, in this scenario, I am content whether I marry or I'm single. Or I want for nothing. Or I have resolved to keep my commitment. Paul says that he does well, and I think he means both in process, how he arrived at that decision, as well as the outcome. That it is good for him to be married. But the one who possesses uh, processes in the same way uh, and has a different outcome, he says he does even better. Finally, Paul arrives at his fourth reason for unmarried believers to remain single. Fourth, the spirit is clear and considerate. The spirit is clear and considerate. We see that in verses 39 and 40. 
A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul teaches briefly on the protocol for those who become widows, that is, um, believers whose spouses die. He says that the widow is free to choose whoever she wishes so long as the Lord approves of that relationship. That is to say, she marries a born-again Christian. And yet again, Paul esteems even to the widow that he thinks she would be happier if she just remained single. Very interesting that we see the word happier used here, isn't it? I don't think we see that very often. That isn't something to shrug off and just say, yeah, right. Our happiness in the Lord is not unimportant. The Spirit of God speaks through Paul to show how he cares for our happiness. He does. The Spirit isn't against your happiness. In fact, he is for your happiness in so much as he is foremost for your holiness. Because when you live for God's holiness, you know what ends up happening? And I can testify to this. You become remarkably happy in the Lord. you're walking in God's holiness and grace, if you are actively living out the revealed will of God for your life, you can choose to do what makes you happy. Now, don't get those backwards. Don't just do what makes you happy and ask for the Lord to stamp his approval on it. Do what God calls you to do in terms of his revealed will, what he's revealed through his word. What does he expect of you to do as someone who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ? You work on that, yeah, then you can kind of let that happiness direct you. Don't get it backwards. Paul says to the widow, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. What a beautiful application to all those who desire to be married someday. Did you, did you catch it? Ask yourself, do I wish to marry that person? That, that's what Paul's affirming here. He says to the widow, let her do what she wishes to do in terms of this relationship only in the Lord. That's a comfort to us. What a marvelous comfort. You don't have to marry someone you don't wish to marry. Praise God. You don't have to say yes to a date with someone you know you don't want to spend more time with. Now, to be be clear, we should be kind. (coughs) Should be clear. Uh, Give them a definitive no. Don't just say not right now. That's cruel. That's inconsiderate. Jesus taught, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and everything else is evil. Be clear, be kind. Because the Holy Spirit is clear and he is considerate, isn't he? Shouldn't we aspire to be as well? 
He meets us where we are to help us weigh our romantic options. And I don't really mean that in the sense of weighing different prospects. That's, that's not how I mean that. I mean to say that the Holy Spirit helps you weigh your options to continue in singleness or to enter the difficult trial of going on dates, evaluating another human being, pursuing them with an increase of time, attention, and money, getting engaged, and then making an unbreakable covenant before an almighty God to commit yourself to a sinner turned saint for the rest of your life on this earth. Lord, help us. Because we need help making those decisions. Lord, help us. Help us to live out our main point for the night. Our main point being this. We must weigh our romantic options with a realistic view of time, marriage, singleness, our heart, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. You don't want to be single for the rest of your life? Okay. You can pursue marriage, but definitely need to weigh your options very carefully there. This doesn't just happen 20 minutes before you work up the courage to ask someone on a date. This requires consistent prayers on a regular basis as you work to guard your heart. Take into account eternal spiritual matters. Feelings of attraction that flare up. Feelings of disappointment when they don't pan out. Build contentment in your life and become sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing to use all of that to make you more like Jesus. So don't act like you're going to live in this broken world forever. This is not your home. Take off the rose-colored lenses through which you see marriage. See past the decorated wedding hall, past the reception, look past the, the night of the wedding. See marriage for what it truly is, a lot of hard work, with the same person for the rest of your life. If I could go back and sit with myself in the car that night, September 16th, 2020, uh, I think I would say to myself, um, know what you're signing up for. I would still arrive at the same conclusion. But I think I would have entered the dating relationship with a lot more holy fear and trembling. Stop assuming singleness is a curse. Remember what I said last week. God is merciful to keep you single in this season of life. So leverage it for all that it's worth. Balance out the functions of your heart. Think more. Ponder. Contemplate. Meditate on God's word. Think more. Stay committed and listen to your feelings less. 
And lastly, involve the Holy Spirit to weigh your options. Repeatedly welcome him to be a part of that conversation. And so much as you keep listening to him, he will be delighted to keep guiding you through weighing your options, romantic or otherwise. Spirit, speak for your servants are listening.